leaving and mourning or we're in different continents and different parts of the world. And actually, I'm not even sure if Dolan's actually on the planet Earth, but um, wish yeah. you were here. Let's, let's start, buddy. Uh, well, back, uh, we'll have the Monkey Music Show. This is Dolan on is from Venom Inc. and from a billion other things and a, an actor. Yes. Have you done anything lately for acting? Oh, well, funny enough, I, I actually just uh, kind of acting, but um, I did this project called Sabatonero which I did for Frontline Works in Italy. When I began it, it was, you know, over a year ago now, um, Italy was very hit, very hard. And mm -hmm. so um, I did a song with uh, some friends, Francesco Conte, uh, Riccardo Spilli, and Filippo Marchegiani in Italy. They asked me, oh, do you fancy just having some fun? And I put some bass on, on uh, um, Hole in the Sky by Black Sabbath. But it was such fun. It turned out so well. What a, what a bottom end that has, too. Yeah, I mean. Oh, it's got to feel so, good, huh? Yeah, it was wonderful. And I, I enjoyed it so much. I thought, yeah, we should do another one. And then I thought, <laughs> hang on a second. What if we did a whole bunch of them? And then we could even maybe get guests on to come and play or sing or whatever. And then why don't we see if we can then make it and, and raise some money for frontline workers in, in Italy? Because at that stage, England were, hadn't really been hit. America, it hadn't got there yet. So Europe was not really being hit by the pandemic, but Italy was really on its knees. Um, of course, now the project's out and it's released and everything. But a year later, everybody's been under the hammer. So, um, uh, so it's a bit strange. But one of the artists who was on there was a singer from an Italian band called Necrodeath, who are like a thrash death band, very well known in Northern Italy, and they've been around forever. Mm -hmm. And uh, the singer, uh, he actually is a director and he does uh, porno videos as well as, a, he won't mind me saying that, he does, he's got this porno thing and he does video editing and everything. And they're doing their new album and he, he sent me a thing, would you mind, doing a bit of acting for me. And I said, okay, I don't know. But he said, no, no, it's not the porno stuff. He said, we've done a new album and it's from a Clockwork Orange. So he said, it's the script from Clockwork Orange. I'd like to get you because the album's themes. So I said, yeah. So he sent me through loads of clips and script from the movie. So I just kind of finished that for them. Um, but what was really, what was weird, fun, of course, because it's a Clockwork Orange. But what was interesting and challenging was it wasn't all the main character, Malcolm McDowell. There were some other characters too but they wanted me to do them like as the movie script. So as I was the character in the movie, which meant that I had to kind of change my voice for different things and mm -hmm. stuff. So it was a bit of a challenge, but I just finished that, sent it back to them and they love it. So, you know, that was, that was my latest uh, acting entrepreneurial thing, but it was great fun to do. Great fun to do. So well, you, and you I, have energy to, to do it. You have, you have your face is very emotive. Like you can do silly face, by just the way you look in your eyes, even like you can, you know what I'm saying? Or you can be the serious yeah. guy, in, you know, when you're like in the Russell Crowe thing. Like you, you can be very like stern, like this guy's going to just break me in half. Yeah. You can do a lot of that with your face, which is a really nice talent to have, which, you know what I'm saying? It carries over a lot. Yeah, I think it's advantageous. One, thi one thing I learned very early on was, you know, uh, uh, um, not so much in the theater, because when you perform in the theater, you know, you have to you have to use slightly bigger movements and, and you, 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 your head turning. And, and so your whole body performance is part of it, uh, not just the words and stuff, but you know, you have to be very motion, uh, motion oriented for the theater because you're, you're translating emotions a lot of time to an audience who, you know, maybe a thousand people in an audience and, and they're not all sitting right in front of you. They're, they're, they're spaced out. 
So, you, you know, you you have to take your emotions that your whole body uh, can translate that to a, to an audience who are watching. But when you get to cinema or TV, it all comes through the eyes. And everybody that, that I admired when I spoke to said, you know, you have to, you have to be able to look at someone straight and convey the emotion. So you either can be threatening or gentle or concerned or thoughtful or, you know, but it all has to come through very minimum movements because that's Mm. what happens in real life. You know, Um, if if you're standing in your kitchen and your, your wife comes in and goes, oh, my God, you can't believe what happened to Derek. You know, before you even open your mouth, your eyes are going to show your emotional response. Right. And if she comes in and goes, oh, fuck, I'm so sorry about the car. Again, your eyes are going to be the first thing that she notices in your response. So when you take that into cinema and into into TV, you learn to try and uh, uh, use your face a lot more, which is in theater, you have to use your face and your body and your voice projection. But in cinema, you kind of, you, you narrow it down. And it, then it becomes natural, you know, because... Uh, uh, the more you you are when you're performing, the easier it is. You know, a lot of actors like Anthony Hopkins and stuff, you know, that they would say that uh, I'm just me. So if you're just you, when someone asks you a question, you have to, it's about listening, really. You have to respond to it. You've read a script, so they're going to come in and say, would you like some more coffee? Would you like uh, some toast? Uh, no, thanks. It's okay. I don't have enough time. Now, if that wasn't just, Tomorrow morning, when you doesn't have time for toast. What kind of life are you leading, Tony? Well, yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, when when you when your wife or your kids come in and go, Dad, you want some toast, or do, would you want like some more coffee? You know, you just go, yeah, sure. the The trick is that when you're when it's scripted and you know that's what's going to happen, you have to almost forget it's going to happen, so it feels more natural. So. I think it, that's the trick you have to do because you can't prepare. You already know what this person is going to say and you already know what your response is and we don't in real life. Have you done so you have, like classes? Yep. Prior, have you um, well, I did do over the, uh, you know some vocal classes and, uh, and some acting classes, yeah. I was very fortunate uh, very early on that a very good director for the Royal Shakespeare Company who then went on to Italian opera, he uh, kind of... I did some favors for him to help out, and he he very kindly got me to do lots of Shakespeare workshops, and had me performing all kinds of things with with real actors. I called them at the time because I hadn't kind of learned right. the skill. Uh, and he was brilliant. He was brilliant, and I learned so so much. And what was really funny because I didn't know what I was doing, I would just learn the 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 Shakespearean script. But then if I had questions, go. I don't understand. What does that mean? I mean, what's he trying to convey? He would say, well, it means this because what he's feeling is this. So when I said the words, to me, I was just trying to make them as real as possible. And all of the real actors who were coming in that he was uh, kind of auditioning would then think, they all thought I was a ringer. I was his ringer. So I was his, like, I can play any part man. And so I was testing how good they were. And, and he would and when I, I remember having a coffee with him one day, and I said, Tim, Tim Supple was his name. And I said, Tim, these people think I'm the fucking, I'm your ringer. I'm not really like they Don't tell them you've never done it before. Just keep doing it. He said, if that's what they think, then you're Brilliant. doing it wrong. And yeah, so it, it kind of felt natural. It's always felt kind of natural. Well, it is. Um, I mean, to add to something, several of you, there's something about like, sometimes you can have all that knowledge that you have, 
and still not deliver it. You can still yeah. be a robot. Or you can have no knowledge and just come across and just be you. I mean, there's some actors that do certain parts in Hollywood for certain movies like rock movies or whatever or play like yeah. that. They do that one part because it's really them. It's not really acting. There's one or two people not going to degrade who, who, who she is doing a movie part, kind of playing a trashy character. In real life, it wasn't really. But they didn't do anything else since then that you really kind of bought. And sometimes it, it's a prop. Sometimes the actors become a new person with a prop. Now you, no hair, no facial hair, nothing. So you are a blank canvas. You also yep. wear a, most guys cannot have a bald hair or no hair. So I mean, enjoy the fact you've got the perfect shape. <laughs> Basically. Well, yeah. But on a serious note, like if you're talking like really just talking work, you really have you're not leaning on, you know, Mr. Mustache for this detective work. You know what I'm saying? Whatever. The, no, exactly. You are exactly. literally relying on the same area. Yeah. For everything. There's no no nothing. You can't be like, I'm surprised your hair's a little messed up. No, it's all here. That's yeah. it. Well, there's an, in, there's an interesting thing you said about that. Um, one note I'd like to point out is, is from your example, is Joe Pesci. And Joe Pesci was serving in a restaurant. I don't know if he was a maitre d', but certainly he was serving in a restaurant when uh, Scorsese was having a meeting with De Niro uh, to cast for the brother in Raging Bull. Marciano's brother in Raging Bull. And, and they, were having, they were having their meal. I guess they'd seen a lot of actors and they couldn't quite find the right guy. Pesci was serving at their table. And after two or three trips to the table, they both looked at each other and went, that's the guy. And Pesci had never acted before. And they went, have you ever acted before? He went like, no. And they were like, do you want to be in a movie? And Pesci goes and plays his brother superbly because he was just Joe Pesci. And, and, and so that underlines what you said. But very interesting. I got cast or I got asked to audition. This was many, many years ago. Um, for uh, a, a TV sh- show here, uh, one of the actors who'd been in the TV show, they were doing a new movie, and um, they wanted a, uh, and I got an audition for it. My my agent sent me up because she said, oh, they want a musician, and you're a rock musician, you play all that, and I was like, yeah. And then when I looked at the piece, the description was LA rock band, you know, 80s, trashy, and I was saying, fucking, it's like Motley Crue, and I was looking at myself in the mirror like this, going... Right, there's no fucking way I could make a deal. So I was like, "What do I do?" Well, I was working in theatre at the time, and uh, um, my partner was doing wig and makeup. So I said, "Do you have any wigs?" Yeah, I got a couple of wigs. So I went and I looked. She had a long black wig. So I said, "Right, can I borrow that?" So I I put this long black wig, made it look. I put a headband on, um, chewed some gum. I put my rock clothes on and I went to the audition and they talked to me and, and they were really cool. Hi, I'm Tony. Oh, wow. Oh, you look different. I was like, Oh yeah, well, you know, I just let my hair go and stuff. And then we do the audition. They say, can you play an instrument? And I was like, yeah, I play guitar, bass. And they went, Oh, we've got a bass. Do you want to play a bit? You know? And I was like, yeah, sure. So I played a couple of licks and they went, Oh, brilliant. Yeah, this is great. And then it was kind of closing the end of the audition. And I stood up and I said, man, it's really hot in here, isn't it? And they were like, yeah, yeah, it's been hot. I said, you must be really dying in here, being in here all day. They went, yeah. I went, do you mind if I take my, uh... and they just looked at me and went, oh, sure. I guess they thought I meant bandana. And so I grabbed my wig and pulled it off and looked like this. And they were like, holy shit, what happened there? Where's your hair gone? And I said, it was a wig. But but the reason I acting. (laughs) Yeah. But the the reason I did that, Sean, and I swear to God, was that I'd heard from actors that 
sometimes they can't visualize. They have an idea of what you should look like. And if, if I'd walked in with a bald head, they would have went, no, without even getting me to read because they go, but we're looking for a, a long haired rocker. Mm-hmm. So I went in with the wig on to go, yeah, but you know, if you just imagine for a moment when, like you said, you have a blank canvas, I could, I could have a huge mustache if you glue one on. I could have hair if you put a wig on. You know, it's so it was trying to underline that point that if I'd walked in in my natural state, you would have went, no. But when I walked in and you thought I looked a certain way, they were, yes. You know, and so it kind of underlines sometimes they don't. Because it's hard because people will believe also. I mean, have you ever seen people that don't have hair? Like, example, like Tom Cruise. When all of a sudden he had long hair in the movie, it felt like he didn't really have long hair because when you have long hair, you have a different feeling of having hair. You're not used to it. So when some of these actors have long hair in movies, you can tell you're like, they're not used to having (laughs) it. throws off their performance because they're not, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think that's it. I think, again, it works on the natural thing. You know, because I had been because I had had long hair when I was a young guy in a metal band, then for me, putting the wig on, I just went back to, I knew what I, you know, how I would respond. But I think when someone doesn't, they haven't experienced Ever, that, right. because you've now got to try and pretend that that's real. And that's when you can notice that that looks a bit uncomfortable or not legitimate. It's really. just like, does it fall natural? Does this, because you, know, you don't realize, not used to who you is. You haven't had regular days with it. So you've had both ends of it and, yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, you know, I know lots of people who, uh, uh, you know, when I shaved my head in the late 80s, that was, I mean, we had skinheads when I was into punk and stuff in the 70s. But when, you know, by the late 80s, when I shaved my head, that wasn't a thing. People weren't shaving their heads. And, and then into the 90s, everybody started shaving their head. But one thing I noticed was the, 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 way, they, the way they felt and the way they kind of became once they'd shaved all their hair off. You know, it was like they they resaw themselves as a different kind of character. So it's the reverse of that. If you have always had short hair or shaved head and then you put long hair on, then you're going to be a different character, you know. And it's about being self-aware, you know. And if you're not self-aware, if it just feels much more natural, then when you see that on screen, it's much easier, you know. Um, and, and there's two types of acting. You know, you have the British School of Acting, which is you learn your lines, you make them feel as, as real as you can, and you portray the part. Or the, there's an American ethos, uh, you know, like out of New York, where it's method acting. You know, Christian Bale, Dustin Hoffman, they're method actors. So for them, they're, you know, they're going to play uh, 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 someone who's, you know, been uh, tortured and kept in Guantanamo Bay. So they go away to Guantanamo Bay and get someone to waterboard them and, and, and torture them a little bit so that when they're doing it, it feels like real, you know? Um, but again, you get great directors who can, who, you know, can tap into an, uh, uh, an actor's emotion. Like one of my favorite stories is from The Exorcist. And when Father, when Father Karras is, uh, um, by the, he's listening to the tapes in reverse, trying to figure out the language of uh, when she's speaking in tongues. Mm-hmm. And then he, he, he realizes, oh, if he plays them backwards, he hears them in, in English. And while you're listening to this, it's kind of spooky. And then the phone rings and he was supposed to jump. And they shot a couple of times. And obviously William Friedkin directing didn't think that he was quite getting the reaction he wanted. So he really wanted them to shit himself. And then the audience would shit themselves. So he fucking fired like a 45 
uh, when the you know so the, the the telephone ring is on the soundtrack because they kept it silent because he shot a 45 pistol by his ear so when you say Karastan go fuck he's like holy shit but that's the reaction he went right that's a take let's move on to the next and I love things like that you know because it's like if you can't quite give me it I'll find a way to get it and that's a brilliant director and then when you see that emotion you know it's real and that's and you know feel that's it that's crazy. Like wardrobe, we're going to change his pants. He smelled himself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, the, the, I, I remember the mother the mother in that as well. There's a point where uh, Reagan hits her across the face and she flies across the room and hits a cabinet uh, and ends up on the floor. And uh, the actress was there and they were describing the whole thing. And then they put a harness on it and a trick wire. So they said, well, she'll hit you. We'll pull you across and and you'll end up there. And she was okay. And so they said, so they went through it. They did the rehearsals, like, so she'll slap you and then we'll put you across. And uh, and there was like a, a key point she was waiting for, which would be the trigger that she knew she was going to get pulled across the room. And he totally went out of sequence for it. So as soon as Reagan hit her, they just struck and let the machine go and it ripped her across the room. So her reaction Sorry. is all real, is all real, you know? Uh, but that's the take. And then... You know, so she, you don't get a performance; you get the real reactions, and and I love that kind of stuff. I love that kind of stuff. Oh my God, yeah. Everyone, it's like being punked. The whole set must have been terrifying. Yeah, to move. yeah. You didn't know what was going to get. You know, yeah, you don't know what was going to go down. But I, yeah, it, it it kind of it's same thing. I think with Tom Cruise, you know, who likes to do his own stunts as much as he can, and he will go that extra mile to you know skydive or or do, do some uh, 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 whatever it is you know he he wants to go and try that because <clears throat> when you're doing it and you get a bit scared or you you know you you look like you know what you're doing that translates on the screen as well you know and sometimes it's it, it helps for the movie that if you're you can do a close up uh, where it's actually you doing it it gives the gives them more film quality more film footage it feels more real as well Whereas, you know, we've all seen those movies where, you know, something's going to kick off and the stunt guy runs down the street and you right. know, you can see he's wearing no. a wig. It doesn't kind of look like the other no, guy. No, Tom Cruise goes a little too far. So I'm like, dude, I mean, I would be like, uh, he's, like on, he's like on airplanes and buildings. I'm like, all right, you know yeah. what? You could like buy like islands at this point. Maybe you could just pull back just a little bit. What's he like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's like 50, 60. So I'm like, dude, you're back. Just relax a little bit. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I mean, it's great for him as a performer, but I think as a film company, the fucking insurance is through the roof. They must be biting their nails every time he does a movie. I, isn't he his own company now? I think he actually had to become his own company because he's just... Right, because, it's like it's like being a king or in Vikings lands and, and you have a battle. Like kings, you know, wouldn't really fight. They sit back. But yeah. the Vikings, the Viking leaders would go out there and they're Absolutely. probably be a better fighter and they are a better leader. And that's why they're leaders because it's an earned thing, not just a position. Yeah. But... Yeah. You go down, you are the, the main link of everything. That's yeah, that's so it. That's the other problem with him being in charge. He is the movie company. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Now you have one person falling. Especially, well, I think that's probably you know that's probably that kind of bungee jumpy thoughts, isn't it? It's those people who are thrill seekers. So he knows that it's all on him. So maybe he gets some kind of extra oh, thrill. Gotta be, yeah, that, you know. So, uh, yeah. how high can you go? What, what more can you do if you've conquered the movie industry? How far? Like, to me, I just, some poor guy just died doing some jump. And I'm thinking, there's a certain point I, I, I appreciate what things do. But at one point, 
the desire yeah. to like to be the best to do something death defying or to like be so risking or you're like climbing a, a mountain that is like just nothing to grab onto just yeah. to challenge the climb the top of the mountain i'm like there's a bunch of things i'd rather do than just say just did that well, yeah you, know I mean? you 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 me and probably uh, a few million other people probably go, right? i got a much better idea why don't i watch someone else do it who knows what they're doing i can't even do that i get anxiety i'm like i can't watch even like the himalayas are like they spend their whole lives there. Doctor, they do everything they do, right? And there's like bad air and there are different layers. Yeah. Like, I get it's climbing, mountain climbing, or whatever. Go for hiking. I love it. But you're like doing something that these guys go with no no packs, whatever. Naturally, live there. <laughs> Fine. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're a doctor. You're supporting your family. This guy just died. Going up the mountain. Him all these. That was his dream. <laughs> dream of dying. Just, no, I didn't want to die my driveway. Having a heart attack, shuffling. I don't want to be dying on a mountain alone. Yeah. But I do think I do think sometimes it kind of chumps on you. It bites on you. I mean, I I, I um, you know, I worked in theater, so you know, putting a harness on and climbing up frames and hanging from you know one rope line and and uh, uh, you know abseiling and stuff. None of that kind of ever bothered me with heights, and I'd I'd run across you know rigs and stuff and not kind of worry about it. And uh, and it, you know, it kind of. I think that's a danger where 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 it initially it's a thrill and then it becomes kind of normalized and and you have to be careful with that you always have to respect oh, yeah. those kind of activities you know but um you know even when when we shot master and commander you know um we did sword training and 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 musket training and cannon training and and lots of uh, uh, rig climbing and stuff mm-hmm. and uh, in inappropriate shoes and and you know a traditional like you would and you start off going, oh fucking, this could go really wrong really quick. But but the more you do it, the more it kind of exhilarates you, and the more you kind of enjoy it. And then think, oh, can I can I do that bit too? And can yeah. I do this bit too? You know, and- there's a certain extreme, like I don't say like live on a couch. There's gonna be dangerous things you're gonna do. But there's a certain point where like where like if you're looking, at, I'm saying like that guy is an example. He was like a doctor, and he had all these things yeah. to do. And it's such a high risk thing for one thing. When you've achieved so many other things in your life. We're never going to achieve everything you want. It's like that one chip in your head that feels like everything is worth it to go out in the middle of nowhere, to just climb on the top of something. But nowadays, yeah. you can get 15 pictures on Instagram in two seconds, and you can still enjoy nature doing other things. Yeah, so yeah. Of, or having a family being that risky also as you get older. And, and your health not being safe. Like I, I say a young man and a young woman do now when you're healthy and young, you don't have like other people depending on you. makes more yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah. Once you have dependence... You gotta kind of pull back a little bit. Yeah, you gotta. There's other concerns, like you say, age. You know, fitness. Uh, uh, you know, your family and uh, your dependents, your offspring, your, but your whole mindset is whatever. I mean, I think as you age, you get a bit more confident in who you are. You get a bit more relaxed. You know what what you like, what you don't like, and uh, and then you can make those decisions. But I guess when you're young, it's about you know just make mistakes. So too, if you're older, you're worrying about that. You're like in the back of your head, you're like, can I make that jump? Am I going to push myself through? You're doubting. I've got kids. Like, all right, at some point, are you still starting to doubt when you're young? You're fearless. You're like, you're like, fuck, I got nothing to do. I'm going. I'm just going to do it. Yeah. So is there self doubt in there too as you get older? I well, I I, I think there's more confidence. Uh, I can do that. Yes. I can't do that. And so you, you're, you're much more aware. Where, where you're young, you go, fuck it, I'll give it a go. I'll give it a go. What's the worst that could happen? I don't make it. Right. Yeah, that's the worst that could happen. But when you get older, you go, no, that's too dangerous. But that I could do. So you, you kind of, you become more aware of your possible, uh, what's, what's possible to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you set the bar you, when you're young. 
and you're trying and, and, and you're expanding your horizon, you should set your bar and, and, and try and hit that bar. Um, it doesn't mean to say you can, you can, you know, it, 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 you reach for the stars and you hit the moon. It's good that you hit the moon, you know, that's succeeding. So, but if you set the bar to the moon and then you make it, you know, so, so don't set, set it so far that it's impossible for you to, to attain. Keep, keep your, keep your limits within reach and go for them. You know, it's how like a, you know, a, 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 an athlete works, you know, they want to, they want to get to nine seconds on a, on a hundred meter a, a, a sprint. So that's what they're training for. And if they get 9.2, then that's good, you know? So, but they're aiming for nine. So at some point in their career, hopefully they'll hit that, even if it's just once, but they, they, they're aiming for that. So, but if they go like, I'd like to do it in five minutes because it's impossible, they're never going to get there. So they're always right. constantly going to be let down. And, and if you don't do it, if you never make it, you're going to start beating yourself up. You're going to become disillusioned. You're going to give up at some point because you set a, a, a comp, what seems like an impossible task. But I think it's the same thing. And I think when you, once you age, you know what is possible for yourself and you're quite comfortable with that. So if they go, we'd like you to, you know, uh, jump out of this airplane, you go, yeah, absolutely. And you jump out of the airplane with a parachute. If they say, right, we'd like you to get out of the airplane, climb all the way along to the pilot's window and let yourself in, you go, no, and no, I'm not doing that because I don't trust myself enough. And I know that I might not be able to do that. Um, it's not about challenging. It's like just knowing where you have your limit and you're comfortable with that when you're older. You're comfortable with that. And and that's good. That's good. It means you know who you are. You know what your possibilities are. You know what your challenges are. And you know how you can overcome those. And when you're young, it's about finding what they are. So you push yourself to discover what are my limits? What are my limits? Not the limits, my own limits. And and sometimes I think, you know, particularly with social media and, and, and you know, when I've worked with younger people, they go, but I, I can't, I'll never be able to do that. I said, never say you'll never be able to do that. If you want to try and do it, let's work so that you can do that. But if you don't, don't, don't make it sound like you failed. Who have you failed? You're only challenging yourself. Someone's opinion about you or what you've done is just their opinion. You've got opinions too about other people. But the challenge is always just your challenge. So, you know, when, when someone once said to me, how do you feel like, you know, because you didn't succeed in movies? And I was like, how did I not succeed in movies? And they went, well, you know, because you don't do them anymore. I went, but that, that was a choice of mine. Um, and they said, yeah, but, you know, I mean, you know, you didn't, you're not like Tom Cruise or someone. I said, but did I want to be Tom Cruise? Did I want to be a millionaire? If I wanted to be a millionaire, would I be a millionaire? But I, I, had, to, I had to answer that question myself and go, if I wanted to be a millionaire, I would have sacrificed everything on the planet to be a millionaire because that's what millionaires do as entrepreneurs. I said, so I had to actually go, I don't actually really want to be a million. I'd like a million bucks, but I don't want to be a millionaire enough to sacrifice everything else to do that. I've got other things I want to do. So what a I weird said, question. Yeah, very Are strange. Like, How does it feel to be a failed journalist? You can't think of anything original when you have an opportunity of a creative force in front of you. Well, exactly. And I'm like, hang on. So if if I if if my um my bar that I set was I'd like to act 
and I got a job acting, then I've succeeded. If my next step was, I'd like to be on TV, and I was on TV acting, then I succeeded. If I then decided I'd like to make a movie, and I was in a movie acting, then I succeeded. I said, you know, so your question is all about success, fame, and money, predominantly money. I said, but maybe that's not the challenge I set myself to go, right, you need to be Jim Carrey earning $20 million a movie, I didn't set that. I, that wasn't part of my remit. So therefore, if he did that and he made that, that's his success. But my success was not that. My success was something else. And so you can opinion it on people uh, and you, you hear people opinion it on, you know, what you should have done, how you could have done it, where you should have gone, how you should have made it. But But it's irrelevant because it's only you who decides what you do and how you do it. And like you just said, if you if they go, you know, Sean, we want you to climb climb this rock and hang underneath it, and it's risky. You could fall, but just if you and and you go, I'm not going to do that because if I fall and I die, what about my kids and my family and my age? And I I don't feel confident. So you say no. So that's you making that decision, not someone else making no, it. You want to live on the edge with me, Dolan? You and I will sit down one night. On the couch, I'll watch Fear Factor, and I'll be like, I'll do that one. I won't do that one. I'll do that one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's yeah. what I do at 50 years old. I'm like, I would do that. I'm like, no, I wouldn't do that. You could dump the rats on me. Knock that car in the rain. But I'll, I'll want the bugs on me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. That's how I That's how I meet her in my life at this point in my life. You know what I mean? I like perfect. it. That's teenagers. <laughs> Everything doesn't scare to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, nobody says nobody says that hot chocolate isn't nice to drink. Nobody says tea isn't nice and refreshing. But if they offer you that and you want coffee, that's okay too. And, and you know, some people say coffee's bad for you, but if you want a cup of coffee, that's cool. It's choice, isn't it? And and you make the choice based on you know what you like and what you want to do. And so it, that's the analogy for life, isn't it? It's not based on someone going, "Why are you drinking coffee? Tea's much better." It's like for you, it's much better. For me, I like coffee. You know, it's like. But that's cool. You can still drink tea because they make it, and I'll still drink. Your coffee. only goal is to do what you do inside of you. You get up every day, you get dressed, you be kind, you put the energy towards what you want to do. Of course, personal success matters on a lot of levels, and it feels good because it motivates us and causes independence. Of course, but the level of what you feel you're in success is is so hard. But then with the self-imposed, you need to have success. To there's so many. You've done like a handful of well-known movies that people would probably refer to. That and the success chart we're talking about that have probably been more quality than, say, some of these other people that have been, say, lifetime actors, and that's their dream to be a star. You know what I mean? Yeah. I hate to say a rock star or a movie star. I hate when people are like a hairstylist. They're like, you're a rock star. No one's a, you know what rock star was? 1970s, Led Zeppelin, The Red Snapper Fish, Bright House, you're throwing TVs out the window. That's it. Done. Yeah. Then maybe the yeah. 80s did a little bit of a, of a photocopy. We're done. We're not doing rock stars anymore. Yeah. You're a musician. You're an actor. You're a kind of person. That's it. You get up yeah. every day. You be you. You whatever your creative forces are doing in you that day, and that's, yeah. that's all you can ask. Well, you know, it's it, 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 exactly. It's like if you think of seventies uh, uh, and Zeppelin, like you just mentioned. You know, the whole rock star thing. They had an airplane with Led Zeppelin on. It was like, wow, they they've got their own airplane. Yes, it's never been done before. Though. It was naughty because it was never done before either. It was, it was also the first time. Now it's been done. Well, exactly. But the thing is. 
you now you say Iron Maiden and they've got a plane called Iron Maiden and they go around and people go, well, that, that isn't that just like, you know, trying to be rock stars like Ed Zeppelin? It's like, no, Bruce Dickinson is a pilot. He's the one who flies the plane. <laughs> How insane is that that he flies the plane? He gets done, he sings Brilliant. for like 100,000 people. Gets done, puts his shirt and tie on. And flies the plane. Flies the freaking plane, not even a small yeah. plane. I know, not he's like if you get up early. He doesn't yeah. sleep. He gets up early. He's probably talking to his press agents about books he's writing and some sword competitions he's doing. Yeah, <laughs> he's like, it's not like he's he's flying a private jet. It's a fucking DC ten. It's like a commercial yeah. airline. Oh he's my sweating god, just getting on that plane, looking at it, yeah. and he's flying it, after performing it. I mean, it's insane. Yeah. But that I shows mean, the human capability of what you can do. Absolutely, and 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 again, it's about. You know, he wanted to fly an airplane and the challenge he set for himself. And the fact that once he flew the airplane, it was like, instead of me just sitting in club class or business class and hanging with the guys, I'd kind of like to fly the plane. So so he's doing it. So it, 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 it eliminates the whole rock star thing immediately when you go, yeah, they can afford to have their own plane. But the fucking thing is that the one actually flying it because he's a qualified pilot. It's like, wow. Which is, which is, just so cool. And, and that goes back to also like one of the one of the things I always talk about was on the show is the worst interview question ever. And actually, like I this, you think about this too, your worst interview question ever. One of the things I heard was Bruce Dickinson. Now he all the, he so he's he's a sword fighter, like comp, like competition um, fencing. Yep. He's done books. He's done solo albums. He's done so much stuff. You know, yeah. Beverages and, and and whatever author and so. Former, like one of the strongest rock voices in his age. Yep. Let's talk about the top 10 vocal singers as they've gotten older, that their voices have probably gotten stronger. Bruce yeah, Dickinson, yeah. Sammy Hagar. So, I mean, there's a, uh, and it's hard to keep the same range as you get old. You know, everyone's singing down key, wishing he didn't have these high notes. He's delivered after fighting cancer. So, fighting cancer, yeah. And just, you the thing, just yeah. to underline that, you said they improve with age. Let's not count Vince Neil's last runner shows in with that because that would be like I don't know what's going on with him. First off, I think the fat shaming and stuff sucks because yeah. he's you get older, your body changes, and who cares? Yeah, what it is. That's and that's got nothing to do with his but voice. that always becomes part of it. So I wish they would just take it apart. I think as a performer. I think he could have taken a little extra time to work on some cardio or position himself or I think he had, but then I think COVID probably hit him again. He's clearly he battles something. Yes. So, you know, I don't know. But you got that it's been, been a very vulnerable spot. When you go on stage and you're standing in front of people, you're 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 very vulnerable. When you do something like this, you're exposing yourself. So you're you're vulnerable to comment. And I think that's it. But I think, you know, um again, it, you know. It's down to the individual. If you're going to challenge yourself, and it may be doing a series of shows, it may be, uh, uh, um, you know, running 100 meters, it may be climbing rocks or whatever. But, you know, you have the responsibility to yourself to condition yourself so that you feel good about it. And I think uh, possibly, you know, nobody's going to go out and, and know they're not going to be like able to do it so it means that maybe the people around him nobody went you know vince let's just get a program going let's get you mindset and you so you feel good about yourself and maybe they just thought we're going to make some cash out of this and they pushed him out the door and he didn't 
They said he did. Minutes. They said they had a, f- a program. He was working out and stuff. And I actually thought it was just great because as a human being, he was working out. I mean, I think he just literally is dealing with demons that he's never. I'm not making excuses for him either because vocally it wasn't there. But I yeah. just think the human factor because we forget that everyone. These they go home, they get off the bus, they're still talking to people. They still it doesn't matter how big or small your house is. You still have a dog. Your dog dies. You're heartbroken. Who cares if you have twenty thousand people? Your mom's yeah. sick. It's. But like his, he had a daughter that died when he was younger, and I think he was in a car accident where he killed his friend because they were both drinking and driving. Yeah. I don't think these demons – I think he lives his life in a different way. I don't think those demons have ever really left him. No, I'm sure. I'm sure. Days with him that's affected on such a deeper level that beyond these stupid gaining weight jokes and he's still trying to perform. I don't think – I think if he could really get a good mental, physical, like really, you know what I mean? Like Phil Collin from like Death Lover needs to say, come on over. Let's do a mind thing, or, or like when like Guns N' Roses were all alcoholics, and then like Duff said, you know what? I cleaned up my act, and I got into like you know kickboxing, or I got into whatever martial arts, and I got I did a mind body thing. And I really had to kind of realize I had to clear house with some stuff. Yeah, I think there's more going on there, and I, that's it. I think it's also it is also an environment and advice, you know, and an awareness, you know. And if you, you know, if you can't shake those demons off or whatever, it's it's like you know. Uh, how many people died, rock stars died from drugs, but how many saved themselves by stopping, you know? Uh, and it's one of the things, if you want to have the longevity and this is what you do and you feel you can't do anything else, this is who you are, you want to do it forever, you know? You you end up being a Keith Richards or, or a Lemmy or whatever it was and, and you you try and ex- ex- exhaust it as long as you can because you, you can't do anything else or you feel yeah. you can't do anything else. Think Maybe that's what's driving uh, Vince, but th- I, I just think it's got to be people around him or just not, you know, really being honest with him or really being there for him or really supporting it so that it's as good as it could be. So maybe, maybe you know, because it happens a lot in, in, in the movie industry, it happens a lot. Oh, my God, you're amazing. You're fantastic. Oh, my God, we love you. And then you go out and you fuck up and they, and they don't talk to you again. You know, and you're like, but I thought you thought I was amazing and I was fantastic. They go, no, you're over, dear, you're over. And it's like, fuck, what happened to me being like the main guy? But it's, they're not, they're not, sometimes they're not considering you the person. They're just considering the commodity. And it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, yeah, we can go out and do these and do a whole lot of, uh, you know, and we'll get you on a program. We'll get you out there. And it's all about like the end result. rock stuff too is the press. They just did, um. I was talking to Eric Martin and they just said a thing on him that he doesn't look the same. It was like a really like a dig. It was like the worst thing ever. First off, Eric's fine. He looks great. Yeah. I, hope, I hope, you know, in a couple of years I look as good as him. I mean, like, and, you know, but a lot of these singers will say, and he's, he's fantastic, but like, why would you say like, he doesn't look like he's 20 years old? Seriously, does anybody look like they're 20 years old? How would you like to be compared against like a picture when you're like long hair and you're 20 years old and you're like the skin of an angel and your, your vocal cords are like so high? Yeah. You're writing notes, you're singing notes that you can sing when you're but, but 40 years go on or whatever. I'm not saying him, just I'm kind of just I'm being generic. The problem with a lot of singers also is vocally, your, your voice has changed, man. And that's what goes back to Bruce. He's, he's one of the four future ones. Some of it's obviously fortitude, but part of it's just natural. Well, it is natural. That's and it, true. Carry your gift on top of it. At that point, then you start to just like layer things of how much success you get. It's as simple as it. It's as simple as it. It's like you take you take uh, you take a Rob Halford or you take a Ripper Owens or you take a, you know whoever Klaus Mine or, or yeah you you take those guys like Bruce. Um, they have a natural voice. They were naturally singers. Um, they naturally had a a, a great uh, um, a great range. 
and uh, and they sing, they sing, and and they keep their voice in that in that that thing. But then you have people who start off in a band, and they might know a guy who wants to be the singer, and he might be able to kind of hold the tune, and he pushes his voice, and you know they get some things out. But that guy's not a natural singer. He doesn't have a natural voice. So for him, every time he does it, it's about being the front man. And then they go on these journeys where they rip it and they drink everything and they think, oh, that's really, really cool. And, and that also is destroying what voice they had. They don't practice. They don't do their, you know, their, all of their vocal uh, practices. And they don't, they don't do it for some years. And then they put the stage clothes on now they're a bit older, they're a bit heavier, they're a bit, you know, uh, different. Um, age has an effect on you. And then you go on stage and then you're trying to hit everything the way it was when you haven't been doing it and it's not there. Well, you know, and- Vince Neil sort of, Vince Neil doesn't have a high range, but it's always sort of been it. So like that's like a Vince Neil, but then if you look at, say, people that as their voices changed, they've grown with it, taken care of themselves. Like look at um, Ian Gillen from, from Deep Purple. Completely. Completely voice change. Yeah. And his voice when he was younger was just like demons from hell. Yeah. He still has a good voice. And yeah. he takes care of it. It's just different. And that's the difference of taking care of yourself and working your, your instrument because he still sounds good. He's just, yeah. he's just changed a little bit because naturally, look at it, was he 70s or something? He's, it yeah. still sounds better than 20 year olds. And just, also, you know, the thing, I think you know, if you're a singer, uh, you know, I, I've even got, not that I'm in a class of anything with those guys, but but even as a singer, you know, I've been on stage sometimes where there's a there's something coming, and I go for the the I go for the note, and I don't know whether it's intuition or whether it's just natural or whatever, but I realize I'm not going to get there, so rather than flatten it out or just throw the note away, I drop. Uh, so I drop a tone or, or mm-hmm. uh, 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 you know, and I hit the lower resonant tone. Um, it's the same, the same key. It's just the lower note rather than the higher note. Right. And, but as a singer, if you're a singer and you know what your voice can do and you, you, you tell straight away and you can flip. But if you're, if you, if you aren't that kind of singer, like a Gillen or whatever, you know, you still keep trying to hit because that's the notes you're supposed to hit. You know, Steve Percy from rap and that, you know, so you end up doing a show that you just think you should have just not done that. Or, you know, you should have maybe tried to pitch your voice down. But I think people who don't work their voice and 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 aren't natural natural singers, um maybe they, they don't have technique. So they don't know what to do in that situation. So what they do is they try and throw their voice out by trying to hit that note. And then, of course, it works out quite bad for them, too. So I think that's the two types I see. You know, lots of natural singers, uh, Flo Jensen. I mean, the females, you can look at the females for a start, you know. Elisa, you know, from uh, Arch Enemy. You look at these, and these are most of the death metal singers um, that are really great, particularly the females, can sing. You know, so they actually sing. They're singers, so they could sing, you know, whatever it is. And We don't have any old ones, though. We don't have any legendary female singers yet because it's, it's, it's relatively still in the past 10 years, a newer genre of it. So I yeah. want to see how strong your voices carry over. It, they will, I'm sure. 
but I want to see how the future of strong women singers in the metal genre when they get older, like your Rob Halford ages, to see wh- who's well, going to... I mean, you've got a couple going up there. You've got uh, you've got um, uh, uh, you know Doro Pesh. You know she's she's not a young spring chicken anymore, but she's still who's it? Lee Aaron just went out again. Sounds mm-hmm. fucking amazing. Lita Ford, she's still cranking it. Uh, um, you know, so you they are they are those females, and I think their voices um, the voices seem to stay. But again, if they're singers, when they're not singing, I mean, if you compared uh, a kind of Wendy or Williams. To a to a, 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 a Stevie Nicks, <laughs> you probably hear a difference because Wendy had a tight vocal, it was punky, it was a particular style, a bit like Lemmy. So the voice would then, you know, might not hold up as well as say uh, someone who is uh, that kind of singer, like the girls from uh, Heart or something like that. You know, where you 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 know they naturally as they age, they will still have that vocal range in there. So. But yeah, your your point is taken. You know, we've got uh, uh, there's so many females coming through now, and and I hear so much richness. But I think that they're able to bend their voices in particular styles, especially extreme styles, because they can sing. Whereas some uh, extreme style singers weren't singers in the first place. They just found up into a band, and I want to be the singer, and so they're just doing this technique. You know, and and you can hear the difference in that. They they won't really have uh, the same kind of longevity because their voice, uh, uh, um, the voice, you know, uh, is doesn't have the same kind of lifespan as a real singer. You know, hopefully. I like um, as far as female singers. One of the things I I love, um, Delana. You're listening to her. She's got a really raspy voice, and she can sing everything. And they always want to make her do like like Janice because always you get forced into a box with her. But her voice is such a range. There's not a lot of female singers out there that have that gravelly, no, no. gravelly voice. I mean, rock and roll. There was a, there, there's a very good friend of mine uh, from uh, she was in Chastain, Leather Leon, and and uh, and, and she had a she's a huge Dio uh, fan. She knew Ronnie, and and uh, when she was in Chastain, she very nice voice, very in that Ronnie James Dio vibrato yeah. type of way. But funnily enough, the older she's got the better her voice sounds, the richer it sounds. She's still got the range. She's still got the vibrato. She's still got the power, but her, there's a quality in her voice that's even, you know, gone with age. You know what I mean? I'll have to check the- it out because I love female singers have a deeper, raspier, Stephen X, even Delano. Like, there's, you know what I'm saying? There's not as many out there that either can do the hardcore, like Argenemy, and then the high, clean vocals. But for female vocals, is it that weird? It's almost like in that male vocal range. Yeah, um, yeah. Not like a tenor or a baritone, kind of like there's like a weird spot yeah. that most yeah, people yeah. gravitate towards. And women can usually dust them singing, they can go all over the place. But that sweet spot that a good rock and roll singer can do that may not be a technical singer, because most of these guys we're talking about all have unique voices. They would not be, yeah, you're not to Klaus sing top 40 songs because it wouldn't sound right. Maybe also, yeah. hard, no. like, or you're not going to hear, or Bruce Dickinson wouldn't sound right doing a pop song. Yeah, exactly. But, oh, so the question that we started with that's what the show goes around circles. Interviewer says Bruce Dickinson looks at me and says, Bruce Dickinson, you're the best chick in the world. How do you feel? What is that for a point? That's, not, that's the worst question. Like, like, so that was leading up to like, what was your what your worst questions, Ben? Well, I, you know, I, I, uh, I, I don't think I've had any worst questions, not in that kind of way. Worst questions, I suppose. The one was what I just said was like, how does it Acting, feel? That, that, yeah, that's yeah, horrible. you went. Successful being the actor that you didn't hit success, and it's like 
what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean? If you, if you want to be in a movie and you end up in a movie, isn't that success? So it depends on how you measure it. I mean, I, I suppose the most consistent, not the uh, worst question, but the consistent thing was during the Venom days when, early Venom days, when people would then go to me, how did it feel stepping into another man's shoes? And and that for me was like the most dumbest question. It was like, I, I never put anybody else's boots on in my life. I only put my own boots on. So I can see you just seriously like, well, I'm glad he wasn't in because our feet would have gotten stuck. I, I can imagine well, you exactly, thinking yeah. smart ass smarmy Carmen. <laughs> yeah. And I just thought, you know, it, it's not a consideration. I don't think it should be, you know, even even, uh, you know, someone who's done a particular role, uh, it, that to me was like saying King Lear, you know, how many great actors, great, great actors have played Richard III or King Lear on stage, on on film, you know, you, you know, you have Laurence Olivier played Richard III, my favourite play, Richard III, you had Laurence Olivier do it very famously uh, mm-hmm. uh, on a movie, um, you had Ian McKellen do it on the movie, You've had almost every I great actor Kellen. do it, yeah. Uh, um, from Pacino, even did it. Yeah. But does that mean I couldn't do it, or someone else couldn't do it? But it's already been done. But it's like no, because the piece is there, so you can translate it. But every actor does it their own way, and I think it's the same for me. The same with uh, you know. I'm not saying. I'm not saying that. Uh, let's take Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden. So my Iron Maiden where I was introduced and I thought they were fucking insanely great, was Paul Diano. I loved them. You know, um, I wasn't a fan of Samson, and they were changing singers. They got rid of Paul, and the singer they brought in was Bruce Dickinson, who had been Bruce Bruce in Samson. I was like, oh, no, that, I, don't like, I, I don't like that kind of vocal style. You mean with they the mustache? The- you know, like vocals with a giant mustache? Well, yeah. <laughs> the wood couch? But, you know, they, then they were massively successful. So I was like, oh, okay. And he sounded much better with Iron Maiden, I've got to say, in, in my opinion. Um, but then you have Blaze Bailey. But, you know, Blaze with his wolf Spain, and then he steps in Iron Maiden, very different. Um, mm-hmm. You had Tim Ripper Owens replacing uh, uh, um, uh, Rob Halford. Now, it doesn't matter if you think that's classic Priest, but did he do a good job? So I think Tony Martin with Black Sabbath or Galen with Black Sabbath or, you know, deal with Black Sabbath or or Aussie with Black Sabbath. It's like, well, uh, for me, um, I know what I prefer, like with Motorhead or or Kiss or anybody else, you know, but um, I take each each step as its own thing. Do I, do I like this? Is, I is, enjoy almost I like- every version of Sabbath. I love the Tony Martin Sabbath album. I got to take a set somebody because I love that album. And maybe calling it Black Sabbath, it's hard because then you get the, the name of like, uh, you know, they want to do an album without being Black Sabbath, but they're like, labels are like, to Tony Iommi, no, you need to be Black Sabbath. So there's yeah. a weird label thing where bands have to be titled with new singers and they can't branch free because who's going to see him with a new singer and a whole new thing? They already got, so that's a hard slippery slope. But they've had some great singers. Obviously, Dio, you know, Ian did a great album with them. I mean, they're all just different, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's I heard Sabbath is Ozzy, so it's just different, but I still love all the Sabbaths. It's just, it's just yeah. a different... And you you have your you have your maybe have your favorite album with with those that those people on it, um, uh, but that doesn't mean to say everything else is bad. But th- that's just what you prefer. It's your favorite. But I, I think that's it. You for every person that you may have uh, loves uh, uh, um, sabotage, you may have a shitload of people who actually loved uh, Born Again with Gillen or or Headless Cross with Tony Martin or, or you know. Uh, uh, whatever it is, you know, with Dio, uh, Heaven and Hell with Dio, you know, so 
I think that's it. It's the adventure. You know, I, I, I remember Lemmy saying, you know, Ace of Spades was such a huge fucking album. When, and I was coming through and that was like, wow. And it was the top of every chart. In England, they were like the biggest band. They were playing everywhere, packed out. It was like, wow, you can't get a better album from a better three-piece than this. But years before, they'd been struggling to even get anybody to consider them particularly seriously. And I thought they'd done some amazing stuff. But they were still, you know, a working band. But at that point, they cracked the egg. Fast forward like 30 years later, and even Lemmy was going, you know, sometimes we have to play as a spades. And I think, you know, we've got a million better songs. We've wrote a million better songs than that. And it's like, yes, you may have done, but Ace of Spades was a particular song at a particular time and has become particularly notorious that people want to hear you do it because it's iconic. And so, you know, there's always moments that supersede everything else. And I, and I think it's the same thing with singers. There'll be a moment that you heard whoever it is for the first time. And that is your moment. Like you a know, touchstone for that band. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it, that's exactly what it is. It's like, you know, people going, oh, yeah, this is good, that's good, but we all want Metallica to do Master of Puppets again. You know, and it's like, okay, but that was your moment. So you want to repeat that because when you, particularly with music, I think, when you, oh, maybe even old movies, but when you see or hear that particular thing, that it, it's evocative. It takes you back, for me, Ultraman or the Twilight Zone reminds me of growing up in Canada and me sitting in my basement watching those on TV. So when I see them, I'm that person again. And I kind of like that. It, it, it means that my body's aging, bits are falling off. Uh, but inside, I'm still that person. I'm still that person that gets excited by that piece of music or excited by that uh, TV show or, or, or whatever it is. It, it evokes emotion in us. And it's why you play a song to well, you and your singles, what you pass that what would you find that, as an artist to go past it you know what i'm saying like i don't want metallica doing another master puppets what i actually don't want them to do is another lulu i respect <laughs> I, res- I respect that they did like you know everything else they've done i've listened to and enjoyed you know i, I respect yeah. trying lulu but you know louis just wasn't a singer and it just wasn't going to work out from the very, very beginning no but no. i respect them as but- artists trying it exactly but you know you know uh, uh, if you think of lou reed and the velvet underground you know it's like uh, you know it's like someone being able to do it i mean you know if if a leonard cohen came to me and went oh man i really want let's do something fucking as leonard cohen now it doesn't matter if if yeah. or Celine dion you know you'd still think holy shit you know so metallica did the thing with lady gaga but it's lady gaga so as a person if you get the opportunity to do something as cool that you think is really cool and like that, mm-hmm. you may take it. Your fan base may think you're nuts and hate it, but as a, as an artist, you know, you may be enticed to do it. And so I think the fact they did Lulu with Lou Reed was like, for them was a private moment. And for the fan base was like, okay. Musically, I just wish I didn't hear it. it was a private moment. But to that point, like if you're really a fan, even like the fans, you have your band, like it's like, I want my bands. I want, if, you know, honestly, if Metallica wanted to do another thing like that, I just, yeah, do it. Who's, who am I doing? I enjoy what I enjoy. No one's making yeah. anything. I'm a fan of the band, which means I'm a fan and I'm a supporter of the creativity of the art. But if they do something different, I'll still check it out. And if I don't like it, I don't like it. It's my opinion. Or it's just, I'm going to be high on my list of other things I like more importantly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, like, that sucks. Your first five albums are the best. Everything else sucks. I'm a fan. No, you're not a fan. Yeah. You're kind of a jerk. And you're a yeah. 
you you want them to you want the thing that you loved about them you want them to keep doing forever and and okay i understand that completely you know um but it, it's like going to the going to your favorite malt shop and saying like i i only like uh, the first time i came in here i had chocolate ice cream i only like chocolate ice cream i only want chocolate ice cream so i just want you to always make chocolate ice cream and nothing else you know the guy's like yeah but the guy behind you it was strawberry for him and that girl over there was peach and that guy there was you know a coke float you know a root beer float so it's like but we make all this stuff what you want is your thing but other people want other things so you know you keep your memory but you can try other things too and i think but as an artist you know you're not going to you know what every album's to be master of puppets every single album you do i mean 30 40 years of doing that even you won't be doing music anymore Only so it's one like, band or, can do the same thing and get away with it and it can still be the, the same blueprint the same four or five guys or whatever and still be so much the same album and still sound brilliant is acdc well yeah yeah but seriously because there's no like you know what you're getting with every album yeah every album you go that was good yeah, yeah there's yeah. nothing really you know what i'm saying there's something that they, they have that magic in the box somewhere where you're like they can do it, but I don't think yeah. ever, anybody else really be able to duplicate that same exact thing without going something different. No, no, but I think I think that's uh, that's kind of probably because as well with DC, um, you know, um, is that uh, the, 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 the trick they had, I think it's, it's blues. It's blues rock, you know, and, and very traditional blues rock, and it doesn't vary from that. And the the vocal approach from Bon Scott in particular was illicit because um, you know he sung he sung from his experience you know everything from Rosie to Jailbreak to Let That Be Rock you know it, it was all emotional but it, you felt connected to it because it was like wow this guy has done that this guy is that you know uh, uh, beating around the bush you know everything was coming from that Real um, yeah. It was a real deal. And Brian very much so the same way. So, you know, you shook me all night long, you know, uh, with those Americans, all of that kind of stuff, you know. Um, so you feel connected to it. And it's the same thing. If you listen to Blind Melon, John Lee Hooker, uh, you know, I mean, you listen to Lead Belly, you know, they were singing from the heart. It, it's it's a real emotion. It's a real connection. Very simple. But, but it's got that hook, you know. The band, though, is still together and they're still putting it out. Because then you guys work with the band dynamics. Now, there are other from the hard singers that are that should be huge, would be like to me, Rose Tattoo. Yeah. Angry. The heart. Yeah. Uh, Angry Anderson, like he should have been bigger than he is because of the influence and the power. Like most people haven't. Once again, as a from the heart band, but the band itself, because of many reasons, yeah. didn't exist. So, so then you get that other dynamic of, of being from the heart and being simple. Yeah, in a complex way because they're not simple. AC is not simple. It's simple, complex, kind of like some of the best Beatles songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. More under the hood. I think it's hook lines. It's hook lines, and it's it's a real way. I mean, you know, a a perfect example from Angry there, and you know, again, a very street, a very bar oriented, a very real. Oriented way, you know, bad boys, all the assault and battery album, but the first one, rock and roll outlaw, you know, mm-hmm. it was all about him. It was all about his experience, you know, and your experience and how it is in in reality. And, and again, bass run, slide blues, st- totally Australian, you know, just like blues rock. 
you know, like, uh, uh, you know, West country and Western, you know, like, you know, coming from the gene arteries and all of that kind of stuff all the way through, uh, uh, um, you know, till you get to, you know, Galveston and, and all the classic hits, Kenny Rogers and Tully Parton, you know, yep. they, they, uh, there's a heritage there. And that is, it maintains itself. And yeah, you can have Garth Brooks and or whoever it is now going, Leanne Ryan's going on stage and filling out, you know, the, the stadium three nights in a row. And, uh, uh, you know, but all of the, but it's all based on the Johnny Cashes and all of that kind of stuff as well. You know, that's, and that was all real people, real life things, real stories. Uh, um, and, and kind of that's the connection. So there's a front end to it as well. <laughs> um, but there's also a back end to it. And the back end is the is the reality of it. And I think somehow ACDC in particular managed to export it perfectly. And uh, and Rose Tattoo, not as successfully as ACDC, but the quality's there and the style's there, the reality's there and the emotion's there. And I think, yeah, I think that's uh, uh, that's kind of, you know, the analogy there, but, but very real, you know, again, the blues rock thing is, you know, it's outback music, in Australia, I claim that is kind of outback music, the same way as our kind of country and western, you know, yeah. or, or or the blues from the Delta, you know, the same kind of thing. It's it's pure because it comes from the beginning. It's not the Rolling Stones, the Beatles, the 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 the, uh, the Beach Boys. It's not that kind of polished, more side of it. It's just guttural, you know. And all those musicians all end up fucking in Texas somewhere in some, you know bar with or recording studio with like this big old guy who's like you know playing his because they all go oh my god i've got to go back to the scene of the crime it all begins from beautiful little nut egg and it's wonderful it's wonderful yeah it's, it's great and like i said yeah, i want to say um with anderson now i do think we talk about success because he didn't hit the financial like record sales i still think his success is, is just as monumental and the impact is just as strong just put that out there as far as like meeting so he just didn't get the you know, the accolades or the the records aren't still you know what i'm saying yeah, he's yeah. Still not supporting hit that band the same as acdc but clearly we're talking about it and it's been an influence we still listen to i know i still listen to you know oh yeah oh yeah 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 yeah. and they're, they're just out on tour again he's you know he's still there yeah. and we okay. i did a couple we've done a couple of festivals or i've done a couple of festivals over the years uh where he's been there you know and and He's still, he's still as vital and he's still as meaningful and the songs still feel as, as crucial and as real as they do. But I think, you know, that's part of the industry, you know, of that kind of uh, measure of success. It's about investment. There's several bands at the moment who are being heavily invested in and you know who they are and their popularity is going through the roof and blah, blah, blah. And everybody goes, oh, they're amazing. And, you know, everybody loves them and stuff. It's like, well, yeah, but there's another band who are just as amazing just as fantastic and just as talented and have just as good material, but you don't know who they are and nobody knows who they are and their popularity isn't going for the roof because nobody's investing in them, but everybody's investing in them. So, you know, there is a balance on that commerciality and um, ACDC exported at the right time and Rosetta weren't exported with the right kind of handling at the right mm -hmm. time and they didn't get the, the same kind of uh, uh, investment acknowledgement, and they didn't get to America, and and uh, you know, so right. there's lots of there's lots of you know, right place, right time things, look, and all that, and that all goes into that. You can still achieve though, and you can still have your fan base, and you can still produce stuff, but you might just miss that pinnacle by a, a Nat's whisk up 
depending on a lo- many many things uh, and the commerciality of, of music in particular it's like it's like movies you know it's Tarantino trying to do Pulp Fiction and the studios major studios going what nah 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 he goes away and does it on a side it's a smash hit and every, and every studio wants to get Tarantino to do every movie with them yeah. you know but it's like does that mean that Pulp Fiction it's a good movie now or is it or Reservoir Dogs you know it's a good movie now or, or wasn't a good movie and it's like, well, we didn't think it would sell because it's not like our commercial stuff that we sell. But now we know it sells. Yeah, we can commercialize that. So yeah. I think that happens a lot too, you know. And and it's unfortunate because for every movie that gets a national uh, exposure and has all the big stars in it, gets all the money thrown at it, you probably have 20, 30 movies that are amazing movies that, that make it to the Sundance Festival that you never really see on general release. You might come across it on a DVD or on a Netflix if you're looking for something. Oh, I'll try this and see what it's like. I mean, a classic example is Rocky. You know, the guy writes a script, does a load of crap jobs and does a couple of bit parts and even pops up in a porn movie or whatever, writes a script for Rocky, casts himself and nobody wants to do it. And he holds out and he holds out and he's holding it well. You know, the rest is history there for Sylvester Stallone. Same yeah. thing as on Schwarzenegger. Schwarzenegger walks in, they go, look at you. And your name's Schwarzenfarter. What's your name? Switchenfunter. It's like, mate, you've got to change your name. And this is never going to sell. Okay. His accent is never going to go over to America as later on he becomes the governor of California. Exactly. Exactly. So if, if, if people are looking for inspiration and they're doubting themselves, they think, yeah, but I can't. Never think you can't. There's two examples right away of people who just refused to to say they can't and and just stuck with it. And there's the result at the end of the day. Think when I hear people say they say I can't. It's not good, or they can't. Or they say something negative to your idea. I mean, sometimes you could have just a crap idea. I mean, it could be this. Of course, but 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 let's say just generally roll on as, as a creative, or or you're not fleshed out yet as an artist. Exactly. Most places all record labels and uh, movie theater uh, movie um, companies are really just banks yeah entertainment banks and what they're saying to you is they i mean they're saying i think it's crap but crap to them means i don't think i can make any money from you yes it's what it means we think it's not good it's crap our bank can't make money from you no if we can make money from you i all of a sudden my opinion have changed for some reason i don't know why it's just really everything you do is great really because how does that change? I mean, you have a house now because of it. Also, you realize I'm brilliant. Or I at least like in some of those places, oh, you know what? I really don't understand what they're doing. I don't even understand how it's selling. Yeah. But I've learned that I've made a mistake. I'm going to support this artist because they're making me bushels of money. At yeah. least be upfront about that because some places have done it. So, you know, I, I, I just, that's not me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, you know, a studio, a studio is going to tell you they're taking a risk if they're going to spend 180 to $220 million on your movie. But, you have to look, of course, they're taking the risk. They're the ones putting the mortgage up and they're the ones putting the money in. However, it's very, and, and, and subsequently, they're going to want a big star attached. They're going to want to try and secure as much uh, fan, yeah. fan interest before they even go to production to, to kind of guarantee some of the money back. But uh, no real studio is going to invest that kind of money initially unless they kind of know the market and think we're going to make that back and uh, on top of that mm-hmm. and you know in, in the same kind of way the music industry works the same you know where they go yeah it's okay but yeah we're not interested to put it out because what they're looking for 
is they're looking for the next success that they already have. I remember must have been late 90s and I was working on a project, a TV show, and I worked with a, an artist who did animation, cartooning and stuff. And we had this idea for a kind of game. Um, and it was before the Sony PlayStation launched. So anyway, we, we had all these meetings and went to see Sony and Virgin and all of these games companies, Sega and everybody. And uh, I was I was at Virgin Records who were doing a new games home. And I remember, you know, just sitting, chatting, we were having a cup of coffee, having a break. And I said to one of their uh, A&R guys, and I said, so what's the next big thing then? And they went, what? I said, well, who are you looking at now? Any bands of interest that you guys have got your eye on? And they said, well, we're, we're looking for, we're looking for another Radiohead. I said, oh, right. Yeah. Radiohead. Oh, cool. You saw you looking for a band what kind of to mimic their success. They went, no, they can sound like radio. If we can get another band that sounds like Radiohead. And I was going, but why would you want a band that sounds like Radiohead? I mean, don't you want another band who's as different as Radiohead? Right. You know, because, and they were like, well, no, because then it's guaranteed money in it because people love Radiohead. So if we can get another band that sounds like Radiohead, it's guaranteed. And I was like, yeah, but, but you know, who, who are you looking for? before Radiohead when when you found Radiohead you know that's like going but that was their way of thinking it's uh it, you know let's not forget that an a and person is out scouting for music so if he finds 10 acts and he brings to the label and they all suck and the label doesn't want them He's not going to have his job very soon, but he wants to keep his job. So the best thing to do is go, well, actually, we've got this band that everybody loves and everybody's going to see and it's making us money. So I need to find another one like them, play it safe so I get to keep my job. The labor's really happy and I kept to keep doing this. And that's why you end up with these trends and these genres, because those people go, oh, my God, that style is selling. So I need to get more of that style while it's selling. It's hot property. And then we all are profiting. If that bottoms out at some point and goes away, there'll be something else that comes on. But right now, and bang, you've got all of a sudden, you've got genres because you you want to um, oh. you want to keep profiting off that, you know? It, it leaves, I just, I just heard this um, producer was at a party and as well back. And uh, it was a, a David Gaffin, you know, who was famous for different controversial sometimes he was a great artist but he was great about picking bands yes and his his a r guys he really gave him a lot of freedom even if he didn't get it he trusts his a r guys right mm-hmm. so he was with um one of the producers at a party uh, steve thompson and he says um they walk in the party so oh, this guy right here so so produce uh a r guy he hadn't gotten any, brought anything in two years mm-hmm. right yeah early after that time though but he trusts him he says you know what he's here because he's going to get me something i know he's going to do it Sure enough, not long after Nirvana. Remember them? Ever hear them? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's a business angle of saying, and true saying, you know, building yourself a team is almost the way of being really successful is by building a strong team around you. And yeah. then, then investing and in saying, I trust my team and my investment. That's a pretty long time to trust an investment in two years in the music industry. But the payoff did happen to work out. I'm sure there's other stories where it didn't. But that's an example of how a lot of breakout artists, because Geffen at the time, young, yeah. young company had. Guns N' Roses, Nirvana, um, the list goes on of very different acts. Yeah, 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 were, yeah, yeah. That were not copying. You know what I mean? 
exactly. But I think that's the the criticism sometimes um, of the industry is that like, yeah, there's nobody like we don't have another Nirvana. There's no, there's not another Led Zeppelin. There's not another whatever it is because all these bands were very individual. And that's like, yes, because unless it happens accidentally, um, you know, we you don't have it because we've formatted everything into specific genres that are selling. So, you know, you have a death metal genre or a black metal genre or a thrash genre or whatever. So you have bands that are brilliant bands all fitting into that category and labels who are specializing in certain areas who are selling that. But it's it's almost like selling Coca-Cola, you know, it's like we sell Coke, you know. There's we things sell out Coke. that are good, that are different. Yeah. And just even on my show that I get sent to me, I can't handle it because of what my show does her thing. I get yeah. different genre bands or copy of bands, older people, older artists being trying to be younger versions of bands they grew up with. They're decent artists, but it's not going to go anywhere. But then there's some stuff that are just really great that, that are nuggets. And they're already out there. They're already together. They have their own recorded albums. They're like a, like a key operations, like a latchkey operations. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. They record their stuff. They've done it there. They have an image. And they're like totally packaged where like literally a record label can just come in and be like, Here's this money. Here's what we're gonna do. Let's work together because you guys already got it together. I mean, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're not doing that. I mean, so there is stuff out there, and so when people say rock is dead, they need to have. They need to get themselves a music channel because people will send you stuff. There is stuff out there. That oh, is it's completely. You know, I mean, I mean, I think that's the thing is when I hear those kind of uh, uh, statements, uh, you know, um, it's usually it's usually from uh, bigger artists. Uh, who lived in the heyday, you know, Gene Simmons or something, mm-hmm. you know, who who uh, had a different kind of format and and uh, but and maybe they hear lots and lots of music, but um, we go all over the world, you know, and I get music sent to me all the time, you know, from files to CDs to albums, you, you whatever, and you know, I've seen bands from. Puerto Rico, Costa Rica, Ecuador, Peru, North America, Iceland, you know, everywhere. Russia, Japan, Taiwan, Australia, New Zealand, Tasmania, you name it. And the amount of incredible work that's going on and the quality of it is is outstanding and across the board in all kinds of genres, you know. And and so I, you know, it's very much alive, and it's it it's it's a difference between you know we had a discussion before we went on air about the pandemic and and um, way to break the fourth wall, Tony. Yeah, yeah, and um, the the idea of talking to people who are living it as opposed to what the media is telling you in a particular mm-hmm. country because they have a particular way of putting it across, and I think it's the same thing with music to a degree. Uh, I see is that uh, it's what they're selling on the magazines and what they're trying to push towards you for for a financial gain. You know, 20, 30 years ago, you uh, uh, might get on the cover of a magazine because you'd done a lot of stuff and you got noticed by the magazine at the time. He was like, they're a really cool band. Let's get them in and put them on the cover. And then you might get a two or three page spread because they want to interview you. And then your record company might go, well, we'll advertise their new album and then they pay and you would advertise a new album. Today, you can get on the cover of a magazine and you can get as many pages as you like, depends on how much money you pay. And so- Or how many followers. That's the other thing. People people don't even represent somebody now. There are artists that that had platinum albums. I know, actually, I can personally say they had platinum albums, but now to get representation now, they literally yeah. ask them, how many followers do you have, like, on Instagram? How many followers do you have? 
completely. So they have platinum albums behind them. They're musicians for 40, 50 years. And they're like, yeah, yeah but we need, uh, you know, 10,000 followers before we'll pick you up in our company or something. What? Yeah, totally. That's a new mark. I mean, I'm doing a, I'm doing a thing. You know, there's a, band, a British thrash band uh, who are kind of long in the tooth uh, and uh, called Virus. They've been around for a long time. They're doing a, a headline show at some uh, 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 thing for Bloodstock. It's a run-up uh, competition, Metal to the Masses for Bloodstock. And uh, someone had sent me a post and said that was their, their bass player. They, they had a problem. Their bass is in America. He couldn't get over. So the guitarist is going to, uh, the bass player who's playing bass, the guitarist, sorry. So the bass player is going to switch a guitar because he helped write the material or whatever. And it's for their new album. And so they've got a hold for the bass. And I thought, you know, maybe you could maybe contact them and help out. So I contacted them. I spoke to Code Finley, who's the main guy. And I said, look, you know, you've got this show if you want. I mean, I know your, some of your stuff. You send me this stuff through. I, I'll come up and stand in playing for you. I think the album's great. Really? I was like, well, yeah, I get to play a gig and fucking why not? So they were like, oh, amazing. So I'm doing that. But part of the conversation we had is he didn't, he put the album out last year. He said it hasn't done like the legs I hoped it would do, but some of the complaint against him for positioning himself on festivals he'd applied for was, you know, the the, the album hasn't had too many hits on your on your pages, and uh, you haven't got this amount of followers and stuff. And he was like going, "Fuck, I I don't know." And I said, "But that doesn't really mean anything in real life, you know, because you know you could have." Uh, you could be a band and I know many and you could have 150, 200,000 followers uh, following you on your Facebook page and you could put your, your new video up and it, 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 it hits, uh, you know, 56,000 people. I said, and I've been out on tour with these people. They don't pull those people in. So where do those people come from? Where do they live? There's, there's ways to pay for promotion, to boost promotion, to boost your fan. And it, it's like, you know, that doesn't mean that those people are real and they're going to come and they're going to buy and they're going to support and whatever. So I think it's a falsehood to go, you know, you've got one million followers on, on your Instagram, uh, but then you go out and play and there's not one million people coming to see you. So it's like, well, hang on. So it's not about the quality. It's not about the reality. It's about how it appears. Bye. All right, be good. Cheers. Be good. Take care, man. Ciao.